sat next to you in the car and could write you a ticket every time you broke a traffic law, would you drive differently? Absolutely you would. You wouldn't do those California rolling stops out the parking lot of Crossroads. You wouldn't be cruising down I-5 going 75 if the police officer was sitting right next to you. But this is my thing. God's always with you. He's always with you. And if we live our lives knowing before whom we stand, We'd live differently, wouldn't we? When you hear the words full body search, are you uncomfortable? The majority of people would really be squeamish at the idea of being completely exposed and examined. That's just our physical bodies. What if someone had a window into our hearts and minds? Even believers struggle to come to terms with knowing that God knows everything. But as Pastor Daniel assures us today, God still sticks around. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, Cleanness in the Camp. For many people, you had abusive fathers or violent fathers or fathers who disappointed you in anger. And then all of a sudden, that whole picture breaks down. But the idea is, is my kids, right? Obadiah, Maranatha, and Annabelle. Because they're mine... If they're doing something wrong, I'll just look at them and be like, look, we don't, we don't do that. We don't act that way. Why? Because you're mine. And they'll say, well, so-and-so did. I'm like, listen, well, so-and-so, you're not so-and-so. Their parents have to deal with them. You're mine. Now, I'm not angry. I'm just saying, in our house, this is how we roll. And that's what God does. He says, look, he sends his spirit to say, look, this is who we are. You are like me. And because you are like me and you are my child, this is how I want you to be. And every time we do something outside of it, the Holy Spirit comes and says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not who you are. That's not how we roll in this family. Maybe that's how your other family was, but this family's not that way. And the Holy Spirit convicts us. And I get excited when someone comes to me and they say, look, I love Jesus and I'm convicted because of X, Y, and Z. Like when a young guy comes and says, man, I, I looked at pornography and I'm totally convicted. I always say, man, praise God. And I'm like, listen, all sorts of guys are looking at pornography and they're not convicted at all. And the fact that you have a prick in your spirit that says, this is not okay, that proves you're God's kid. Because God's sons say, I I can't be doing that. That's not right. It dishonors the Lord. It dishonors me. It dishonors that person and my future wife or my present wife or whatever. See, First, there's the acknowledgement of sin. And listen, we need to get comfortable being uncomfortable when the Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit is not condemning us. He's just saying, look, I want you to be aware of who you are. So first, there's the acknowledgement, and then there's the confession. And then you come and you say, Lord, I am aware of the fact that I have sinned and fallen short. Lord, I am aware that what you're telling me about my life, this is true. It's true. And then there's restitution. So there's acknowledgement or awareness. Then there is confession where you you speak it out. This is who I am. And then there's restitution. Now, what's beautiful about restitution is this. Do you know what restitution is for your sin when you are born again forgiven? You know what restitution is? 
It's receiving God's grace and saying thank you for it. So God doesn't say, look, you messed up. Now I want you to do 25 push-ups. I want you to do 50 burpees. And I want you to not eat ice cream for a week. That would be a terrible punishment, wouldn't it? All of it, the burpees and the ice cream fast. That'd be terrible. See, God just says, when we come and we say, Lord, your spirit has convicted me. Lord, I confess that what you're saying about me is true and I realize it. Then you just simply say, thank you for your forgiveness. You just receive, you just acknowledge God's grace. You don't need to do anything else other than confess it. And you just say, Lord, I just say thank you for your forgiveness. You don't need to get saved again. You don't need to get baptized again. You don't need to give your life to the Lord again. You need to simply say, thank you, Lord. We receive his grace. That's on the vertical. Now, If you rip somebody off, then you need to go back and make it right. See, God's forgiveness is already granted in Jesus, but if you wrong someone else, you still should go to them and say, listen, I'm really sorry for what I did. And if you stole from somebody, you should go back. And notice, we call this the knucklehead tax, right? The 20% upcharge. The idea is it's almost like, look, whatever you do, I want you to restore it, restitution plus 20%. Which is kind of like, I totally wronged you, and I get the knucklehead tax. Now, you might say, well, listen, 20%, you know, the idea is go the extra mile. Even though you wronged somebody, what they were without, you're saying, look, I acknowledge what I did, and then there's more to it. This could be like pain and suffering. That's the idea. It's where it comes from. But God says, look, I want you to, when you come aware of it, I want you to acknowledge it. I want you to confess it. And then I want you to make it right Pretty good, right? So it's a pretty good model for life, isn't it? Be aware of your failings, confess and agree with God that your failings are real, and then make restitution. Receive, once again, acknowledge the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Don't feel you gotta do a bunch of spiritual push-ups to get back in God's grace. You say, Lord, thank you for your grace. And he says, look, I love you, go and sin no more. And if you wrong somebody else, go make it right with them. A mark of humility is being able to say to somebody, listen, I'm sorry I'd messed that up. I got that wrong. Next to I love you, the next three-word phrase we should say most often is, I am sorry. So we can just say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry to you. I'm sorry. Oh, oh yeah, so I, I, look, I did steal your cheeseburger when you weren't looking. So I'm going to buy you a cheeseburger and I'm going to give you one-fifth of my next cheeseburger. You know what I mean? It's... You want to go over and above in your restitution. Now, of course, there's always the, well, that person who I I ripped off, they're not here anymore, and so what do I do with that? And it says here that if you can't make restitution in the physical sense to that person or their family, then you give it to the priests. So what's amazing is, in this, when the restitution needs to be made, and if it can't be made physically, it still gets made and it goes unto the Lord. And the priests get it. And really the idea here is that, that when you give it to the priest, the priest is allowed to dispose of it, of what he wants. Every man's holy thing shall be his. Whatever any man gives to the priest shall be his. So the idea is, you can't just give it to the priest and be like, okay, I gave it to you, now I want it back. The idea is, I am going to make restitution. If the person or their family can't receive it, I'm going to give it unto the house of the Lord, and the priest will be able to deal with it as is led. Now, from verse 11 to verse 31... We have the reality now of, remember, there's uncleanness in the physical sense. Then there's relational uncleanness between people because of wrongs. And then, of course, God is concerned about cleanness within a marriage. Now, 
I can't even get too far into that without making a comment. God loves marriage between a man and a woman. God loves marriage. Marriage is the primary core relationship within a society. Now, we live in a culture that doesn't value marriage, but that doesn't mean that we should just be like our culture because God values marriage. He has ordained one man with one woman to become one flesh. Why? Because it's the living epistle of Jesus and his church. That's why. Marriage is not just about human happiness. It's about a living picture to the world of Jesus and the redeemed people of God. And we have to remember that. Because in a culture that's steeped on happiness, we say, well, it's about human happiness. No, it's about human happiness second. Human happiness is an outgrowth of human holiness, which is a gift from God. So I always look, I look at my bride, I look at my kids, I remember, look, it's not primarily about them. This is a picture to the world of Jesus and his church, and I get to play it out every day. And so it's under the Lord that it happens, and Lynn and the kids get a benefit. But I think what happens is, Marriage is tough. Why? Because people are prickly, right? People ain't easy. Everybody has their moments. And you start like, oh, well, this can't, I'm just not happy. But then you start looking as unto the Lord and you realize Jesus died for us because we're all prickly, right? You think we're like an easy job? Can you imagine the Trinity in heaven, like working out the salvation thing and you know, God's like, okay, you know, Jesus is like, well, okay, I'll go die for them. And the Holy Spirit, you're gonna have to deal with them every single day, day in and day out, just dealing with all their junk. Now, that's not in my Bible, but you can imagine. I mean, the Holy Spirit's got a dirty job. Constantly being like, yeah, you're messed up there. You're messed up there. I still love you. You're totally messed up there. Do you think you're a cakewalk to be married to, to Jesus? Do you think Jesus has got like an easy ride with you? Like you're just like so fun to be around? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, not only the things that you do outwardly, but all the stuff that's in your heart that never shows itself to the light. He knows all of that. So if you think your spouse is tough, you got to imagine what you're like for the Almighty. But He is Almighty, amen? And if He is Almighty and He can navigate us, then He will give us the grace to navigate each other. Does that make sense? So if you're saying, look, my marriage is tough because I'm just not happy. Look, you need to look to the Lord and say, Lord, I was never supposed to be made happy by this person. Anyway, they're my companion in life. And listen, you might be saying, well, look, I'm single, so I don't know what this is all about. But listen, you're still married to the Lord. And even if you're single, you're still not a cakewalk for the Lord. The key for each one of us, can we be faithful on the step that God has us on? But within this case, and you got to realize that in this time, and in Jesus' time, it was very, very rare for people to be unmarried as they moved into their 20s. Men oftentimes were married in their late teenage years, and women were married in their early teenage years. That was the culture. So it was very rare, except somebody was consecrated to the Lord for a specific purpose. It was very rare for people to be single. They were arranged marriages, so even before you, you, you got to take your first baby picture or you went through the awkward uh, middle school age years or you, you figured out what your style was, your parents had already chosen a spouse for you. So different culture. And so when it starts talking about marital relationships, pretty much everybody was married. Almost everybody. So this was a very common happening. And God is concerned about the marital relationship. So look at what happens. And this is kind of weird. We're going to have some fun with this, I think. Verse 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, if any man's wife goes astray and behaves unfaithfully towards him and a man lies with her carnally 
and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband, and it is concealed that she has defiled herself, and there was no witness against her, nor was she caught, if the spirit of jealousy comes upon him, and he becomes jealous of his wife, who has defiled herself, or if the spirit of jealousy comes upon him, and he becomes jealous of his wife, although she has not defiled herself, then the man shall bring the wife to the priest. He shall bring the offering required for her, one-tenth of an ephah of barley meal. He shall pour no oil on it and put no frankincense on it because it is a grain offering of jealousy, an offering for remembering, for bringing iniquity to remembrance. Now, you see the stage is set. You have a man and you have a wife. Now, in one case, the woman strays on her marriage and is unfaithful, but nobody catches her. But the spirit of jealousy comes on the husband. He... He wonders something's wrong here. Now, I know for a lot of people who've had this experience, long before you find out about it, you know something's up. Something's just not quite right. So what happens in that case, right? Now, if the spirit of jealousy, and she has done it, one thing's going to happen. But also, sometimes guys are just jealous. And listen, sometimes, we live in a culture where it's not just men making the decision. Sometimes women are just jealous, and it's completely unfounded. So the idea here is there is a breaking down in the marital relationship because of either legitimate infidelity or the potential of it, but we don't know. They haven't been caught in the act or anything like that. So what do you do? You bring the wife. Now again, why is it only men bringing their wives? Because this is a different culture than ours. If this was done today, I, I bet it would be both sexes. But in that culture, it was a staunchly patriarchal society. And what's going on here? What's interesting about it is this is actually protection for a woman from a jealous husband who could have just killed her. And you look at cultures where the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Bible is not the foundation, you find stories of this, don't you? You look at some cultures where if a woman is accused, even though there's no trial, she's dead. So this is meant to be a protection for a woman. If she is legitimately guilty, there's one problem. If she's not legitimately guilty, she's actually protected. So you have to realize that piece. Now, what do you do? You bring her to the priest. You bring a barley offering, right? It's a grain offering of jealousy, it says in verse 15. Now look what it says in verse 16. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. The priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel and take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle and put it into the water. Then the priest shall stand the woman before the Lord, uncover the woman's head, and put the offering of remembering in her hands, for remembering in her hands, which is the grain offering of jealousy. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that brings a curse. And the priest shall put her under oath and say to the woman, if no man has lain with you, and if you have not gone astray to uncleanness while under your husband's authority, be free from this bitter water which brings a curse. But if you have gone astray while under your husband's authority, and if you have defiled yourself and some man other than your husband has lain with you, then the priest shall put the woman under the earth of the curse, and he shall say to the woman, the Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people when the Lord makes your thigh rot and your belly swell. And may the water that causes the curse go into your stomach and make your belly swell and your thigh rot. Then the woman shall say, Amen, so be it. It's kind of weird, right? Can we, anybody think this weird? Yeah, it's pretty, it, this is weird. But think about what it is. He's saying, look, I want you to bring a grain offering, 
right? So you're bringing an offering because there's this jealousy problem. And then what he does is the priest brings the woman before the Lord, which is not a place where normally anyone except priests would go. She goes before, uncovers her head. And that's, an, that's a sign of openness now. The only people who saw women's head uncovered in that culture were her husband and family. That was it. So the idea is now before the Lord, I am uncovered. I'm naked. And what does he do? He takes this water. He takes a little dirt off the floor of the tabernacle. Now, you got to realize, you ever drink some dirty water? It's just dirty water, right? But the idea here is because the woman is now naked, so to speak, before the presence of God, it's a symbolic. It's not like there's like magic dirt in the tabernacle. You know that, right? But the idea is, is now she's being presented before the Lord who searches completely. And he's like, look, if you've been unfaithful, there's going to be consequences. If you haven't, nothing's going to happen. And she drinks this water. And if there is a sin, they believe that it will be revealed because there'll be stomach problems and thigh problems and all these things. And if not, it's no problem. And notice at the end, she says, amen, so be it. So this is a ritual. Now, know what I think, know why this is weird to us? Because I don't think any of us fear the Lord very much. Because we know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, the, of wisdom. And I think the reason we can so brazenly sin in our lives is because we actually don't fear that God is going to touch that right then and there. But you realize that in the Bible times, they realized that. Remember what happened in Leviticus chapter 10 when Nadab and Abihu offered profane fire and they were struck dead? Remember what happened when Ananias and Sapphira lied in the early church and they died right there? Nobody touched them. They just dropped dead. And it's interesting that in these situations, when God is moving in a powerful way, there is a profound fear of the Lord. You could imagine a woman who has committed a sin when this thing's going on, the fear that would come upon her. Let me finish this and then we'll tie some things in. Look at what it says. So she says, amen. So she agrees to this. She's like, look, if I've done it, there's going to be a punishment. And if I haven't, I'm going to be fine. In verse 23, then the priest shall write these curses in a book and he shall scrape them off into the bitter water and he shall make the woman drink the bitter water that brings a curse and the water that brings the curse shall enter her to become bitter. Then the priest shall take the grain offering of jealousy from the woman's hand shall wave it as an offering before the Lord and bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the offering as its memorial portion, burn it on the altar, verse 26, and afterward make the woman drink the water. When he has made her drink the water, then it shall be, if she has defiled herself and behaved unfaithfully toward her husband, then the water that brings a curse will enter her and become bitter and her belly will swell her thigh will rot, and the woman will become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, then she shall be free and may conceive children. This is the law, verse 29, of jealousy, when a wife, while under her husband, goes astray and defiles herself. Or when the spirit of jealousy comes upon a man and he becomes jealous of his wife, then he shall stand the woman before the Lord, and the priest shall excuse, execute all this law upon her. Then the man shall be free from iniquity, but the woman shall bear her guilt. Now you notice what happens. Not only does she drink the bitter water, but he writes the charges on like a, a piece of papyrus and scrapes that in there as well. So it's, it's very symbolic. These are the charges. This is, we're in the presence of God. You undo your hair, you drink it down. And then they believe that whatever the outcome is, it will play out in the end. Now, Somebody who is skeptical or somebody who knows a little bit of history, you realize they kind of did this in the Salem witch trials, didn't they? 
They said, if this woman's a witch and we try and drown her and she drowns, then she's a witch. And if she lives, if she doesn't drown, then she's not a witch. And you know what happens when you hold people underwater, right? They drown. Like, that's just what happens. So this is different. This isn't a priest holding her underwater and saying, if you don't die, then we know that you are not guilty. This is literally, if this woman is guilty, God's presence is going to be the thing that changes. It's not the water. It's not the the dirt on the floor. It's not the scrapings from the charge. It's the fact that God is going to deal with this woman in her spirit. And it's going to have a physical effect. If she's been faithful and it's wrong, she's also going to be excused and let free from the charges. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? I think we should be more scared of offending God than we should be of getting caught. I think that's the application for us. We live in a culture where it's kind of only wrong if you get caught. You, You only own it if somebody busted you for it. And I think that for you and I, just like the children of Israel, I believe God wants us to realize that we don't do anything that we don't get caught for because God sees everything. Everything. Now, someone might say, well, you know, Fusco, that's a scare tactic. Can I be honest with you? It is. But it's real. If a police officer sat next to you in the car and could write you a ticket every time you broke a traffic law, Would you drive differently? Absolutely you would. You wouldn't do those California rolling stops out the parking lot of Crossroads. You wouldn't be cruising down I-5 going 75 if the police officer was sitting right next to you. But this is my thing. God's always with you. He's always with you. And if we live our lives knowing before whom we stand, we'd live differently, wouldn't we? A.W. Tozer said, I've always loved it. It's very easy to be holy when someone's looking over your shoulder. You know what's amazing? God is always looking over our shoulder. Why? Because God loves us enough to keep his eyes on us. There's that movie Braveheart. Remember when Braveheart and William Wallace in the movie is in love with Marin, which is the, the, the woman of his dreams. And there's that one beautiful scene where he's watching her walk through the like the, the little shopping area and he's watching her and then at some point it stops. The music's perfect and she turns around, he smiles and everybody feels warm and fuzzy inside. Even the guys like that scene, you know? In a lot of ways, that's exactly how God is with you. As you walk through your day, he watches you because he cares, because he loves you, because he thinks enough of you to send his own son to die. And we need to have a reality of life that takes that into account. That no matter where you go tonight, Jesus is watching because he loves you. That no matter what goes on tomorrow, he sees it all because he's with you. And that should be the thing that curbs us and our behaviors, not the potential consequences of getting caught. The physical consequences mean nothing compared to the emotional and spiritual reality of grieving the Spirit of God. Jesus is real. God knows everything about us, what we've done, thought, and felt. In light of this teaching, Pastor Daniel didn't want us to only see this as a scare tactic to curb our bad behaviors as a comfort that the Father cares so much for us that He's always there. 
For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus is Real podcast. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. We are seeking people just like you to partner with us. For anyone who supports Jesus Is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more this month, we'll send a special three-part mini-series from a brand new series entitled Friction. To receive your three-CD set, visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. There you can give a one-time gift or support Jesus Is Real Radio monthly. So visit JesusIsRealRadio.com today. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel continues this series in the book of Numbers. He'll encourage all believers to get deep into the things of God, taking advantage of our access to Him. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. Radio.